Welcome back. You are still listening to the Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. And we are now in overtime, and we've got some good stuff today. We are talking company unions, getting to a couple things that we didn't get to in the main show. Uh, We're going to get to a couple of bills that are going through the legislative session, some of the contradictory positions that are going on there. We're going to get to last week in Southern Labor. But first, we're talking company unions. First, uh, we're going to be talking to Dan DiMaggio from Labor Notes, and then we're going to be diving into Marco Rubio's company union bill. So let's get started. We talked with Dan. I just want to thank everybody for listening so far and uh, apologize for a couple of weird transitions there. I guess I was just so pissed about school vouchers that I <laughs> uh, messed up a couple transitions today. So y'all, oh, no y'all bear with us. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for everyone who's been tuning in so far. Absolutely. And so, absolutely appreciate Dan yeah. coming in. Dan the man, DiMaggio. Dan was a researcher for the operating engineers before he came to Labor Notes, which I didn't know until I was trying to get a bio for him. Well, and uh, I see today. he's already dropped a link to a monthly review article uh-huh. he wrote many years ago, like, which uh, brings back flashbacks because I remember reading that article <laughs> when it came out. Uh, oh, wow. So uh been following Dan's stuff for a long time on Labor Notes. Uh, great, great guy. Awesome. Well, Dan, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Uh, you guys are doing great, great work. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate what y'all do at Labor Notes. I am subscribed, uh, like any good lefty, to many a magazine, <laughs> and the only ones that I religiously read and make sure that I read cover to cover are Labor Notes and In These Times. Those are the only ones that I always make sure that I read. Yeah, I second so. that. Uh, so we're talking about the defeat of company unions in Mexico. You and Luis Leon have been following this story for Labor Notes for a while now. Um, was going to try to get Luis on as well, but it is his birthday. So happy birthday, Luis. Dan is going to be um, taking over for him today. But can you explain to the audience what are company unions? Uh, well, so in the in the... In the Mexican context, uh, you have, uh, you know, unions that essentially sign contracts behind the backs of the workers, often before any workers are hired, um, with with employers like General Motors or, uh, you know, many the many uh, multinational employers that um, operate in Mexico. And those contracts, uh, the workers oftentimes don't know anything about them, um, you know, uh, are unaware or only vaguely aware that, that dues are being taken out. Um, and they lock in low wages, they lock in poor working conditions, and they crucially uh, preclude the possibility of forming a genuine independent uh, union. And this is the most common uh, type of contract um, and the most type, most common type of union that exists in Mexico, um, and there are there are we can talk about this. There are genuine independent unions uh, in Mexico who are fighting the good fight, um, and there's you know a major effort underway to uh, to reform the the Mexican labor movement and build more democratic mm-hmm. independent unions. But uh, <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, but the, and the, so right. Well, I, and I I think that. The explanation of of what they are, 
basically also explains like why they're bad. Uh, you know, you you if you're going to have a union, you're going to have an organization organization of workers. You want it to be democratic. You want it to be transparent. You want it to be accountable to the membership. And and um and and there are several unions in Mexico that are just simply not. Why are they so prevalent in Mexico? So yeah, so just to give the example um, of the the union at the General Motors plant in Silao, um, this was a union, uh, the uh, Miguel Trujillo Lopez uh, local of the Confederation of uh, Mexican Labor, the CTM, which is the largest union confederation uh, in Mexico. Uh, and this this particular, uh, uh, I shouldn't say local, this particular uh, national union. It's a national auto industry union with 120 uh, contracts, and it's headed by a senator, um, Teresa Medina, um, from the long ruling uh, Institutional Rev- Revolutionary Party. Uh, the, well, that's the a pre- red flag right there. If a sitting <laughs> senator is, is in charge and not the good mm-hmm. kind of red flag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this is the this has been the, um, you know, the model. So many of the, the, the union leaders uh in Mexico, these types of unions are among are, are extremely powerful people, um, you know, and and leverage their uh, their base, um, uh, you know, into to, to into congressional seats or uh, seats in the uh, in the Mexican Senate. Uh, the reason it's been so uh, dominant there, I think, there are a couple of things. I mean, one, uh, you you have all of these uh, multinational corporations uh, looking for cheap labor, um, you know, and, and moving to Mexico and uh, willingly, uh, you know, operating uh, with this with this model um, of unions and signing these agreements and essentially, you know, designing their investment strategy in Mexico uh, <clears throat> around their ability to uh, secure what's called a protection contract, uh, which means it protects the employer uh, from the workers. Um you know, and but also because of the Mexican government's uh, turn to neoliberalism um, and its, you know, its desire to, you know, basically its development strategy um, to <clears throat> which was based on on cheap labor and, you know, attracting this type of investment and saying, uh, yes, come here. The workers will have no ability to uh, to raise their wages or. Uh, you know, or put up, put up a real fight. Um, and there are, you know, a, a tremendous amount of legal and political obstacles uh, to workers uh, who, 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 who have sought to form uh, independent unions. Um, and those are being, uh, those barriers are being lowered now uh, under the, the recent labor law reform, which is a, a positive development, but um but the system. What were some of those durable, barriers durable. to independent unionism? Um, so you have these. Uh, so so with the protection contracts, um, the you know workers would say, okay, we we'd like to form a, a real union here. We'd like to form an independent union, and they you know they could go to the labor authorities, and the labor authorities would say, well, it turns out you guys already have a contract. Um, you know, with this other union and, uh, you know, if, and then would erect all sorts of obstacles, procedural obstacles saying, uh, you know, you didn't address your letter. 
uh, you know, your petition to the right person. Um, your union is not registered. Your, uh, you know, or if they could get as far as like, um, okay, well, now we're going to have a, you know, uh, a vote over who, you know, who, who will have the contract at this facility. You know, there were cases where the, the board would say, okay, and the vote's tomorrow. Um, mm. uh, you know, so like an independent union that had been operating underground or, you know, would have to, uh, you know, would have to, to emerge, uh, you know, and, and decide if they could, could do something in the, in, within 24 hours or, you know, I mean, there's just a, there's uh, workers would be fired, uh, you know, by the dozens uh, if they came out in support of an independent union effort um, and, you know, nothing was done about that. Uh, and of course there's lots of, uh, you know, violence and, uh, thuggery, um, you know, right, directed right. At, uh, at them as well. It, wh- how were the, uh, how were these barriers lowered? Like what, what was the labor law reform that, that may, that is making it easier for workers to form independent unions? Right. So, so for m- many years, the independent, uh, union movement in Mexico has pushed for, uh, labor law reform and made it in an international issue, bringing it before the uh, the ILO, um, and you know, and also gaining some support and increasing levels of support from uh, allies in the U.S. labor movement and in Canada. Uh, eventually, uh, you know, there was a new government elected in in 2018, uh, the Morena government, um, with the President AMLO. Uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, and they passed a, a historic uh, labor law reform that went into effect on May 1st, 2019, uh, which includes uh, a number of extremely important provisions. Um, I should also say that that there was a, um, you know, part of this, part, some portion of the credit should also go to uh, the labor uh provisions that are included in uh, the USMCA, the uh, successor to uh, to NAFTA, um, which, uh, you know, does have some have some significant advances on previous uh, trade agreements um, and did put pressure, uh, you know, on the Mexican government to to enact this reform. um, But, you know, also a lot of the credit goes to uh, I mean, the, the, the most of the credit should go to the independent union movement. In Mexico that's been pushing for this. Um, and, you know, the, some of the credit goes to the Mexican government uh, under this new, uh, you know, more left-wing party, um, more progressive uh, party. Um, so some of the provisions of the, the under the labor law reform are, one, that workers have the right to uh, see their, their collective bargaining agreements. Uh, you know, so that, I mean, that, that is seems that pretty is basic. forward, yeah. It's <laughs> basic, um, but, you know, most workers nice. there... There are something like 500,000 collective bargaining agreements, uh, contracts in Mexico. I think by the estimate I've heard is that only 100,000 of them actually are still in existence. The other ones are are out of date or, you know, just uh, the union doesn't function or the company is shut down. But but so that, so let's say there's 100,000. But, you know, most of those workers have not seen most of those. Um, uh, but so the other thing is that all of those collective bargaining agreements um, have to be legitimated, brought uh, to a vote of of uh, the workers uh, in the workplace, 
before May 1st, 2023. Um, so that is so, so far. So that that's a that's a positive development, um, you know, and so workers have the right to say uh, in in that in the legitimation vote, they can say, we don't we want to get rid of this union that we've had here, this protection union. And that opens if they if a majority of them vote against the contract that opens the path uh, towards forming a, a democratic uh, independent union or a new union um, towards bringing a new union in uh, thus far. Oh, sorry. Let me let me say some other things. Also, the 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 right to and a, a big difference about those votes or something important is that they are secret ballot votes. Um, you know, on mm. the collective bargaining agreements, like uh, workers also now have the right to uh, uh, to choose their union representatives. Um, you know, like that that's a, a part of the of the law as well. Um, there are their union leadership, I should say, um, and it also moved. Uh, creates a system like a it strengthens the the labor boards in mexico and makes them a, a part of the judiciary rather than uh the previous system uh that existed which was uh these tripart tripartite uh conciliation boards um which allowed for uh you know a lot of corruption and and were a pillar of uh maintaining the uh, uh the company union uh protection union system um so those are some of the things but so far, uh, so I said there are 100,000 contracts um, covering Mexican workers. So far, only 3,000 of them, less than 3,000, uh, have been brought to a, a legitimate legitimation vote. Um, and out of those, less than 1%, in less than 1% of those votes have workers uh, uh, decided to ditch their existing union um, and mm. open the, the possibility towards uh, forming a new union. So why do you think why do you think that is that of these three thousand only one percent have um, have voted to go towards a new union when we know that you know I mean do you how many of those three thousand would we say are, are company unions most of them or, so the, or the, contracts the, that are administered by company unions I'm sorry yeah so the the secretary of labor um, Luisa Maria Alcalde who who's uh, background is actually, um, you know, come is, has st- strong family ties to the independent uh, uh, democratic union movement in Mexico. Um, so she estimates that eighty to eighty-five percent of the, the of all the contracts in Mexico are protection union contracts. So the the vast majority of those the three thousand that have been voted on so far um, are are protection contracts. The reason why it's been so difficult is, um, one, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's no, it takes a lot to organize, uh, mm. to win a vote, um, on this stuff. And there, you know, there has not been much space for organizing, um, uh, in, you know, in anywhere in Mexico, um, for, you know, for workers to, uh, to organize because, because of the fear that exists because of the, um, uh, you know, the fear that you're going to be going to be fired um you know uh and another thing is that the the protection unions continue to threaten workers by saying if you vote against legitimating the contract you will lose all your benefits you won't have a contract Mm -hmm. anymore the company will do whatever it wants to um and a third reason of all that is false by the way uh if workers vote against uh 
legitimation, um, the, the contract, the terms of the contract remain in place. Uh, they just open the path for a new union to take it over and negotiate a new contract. Uh, the third thing is that, uh, you know, the unions will say, well, do you want to keep your jobs? You know, if you vote to, to delegitimate the contract and you bring in um, an independent democratic union, then the company's going to say, uh, oh, we're going to leave. We're going to, we're going to go mm -hmm. back to the U S um, we're going to go to Canada or, you know, we're going to go somewhere else. So it, it, cause it would destabilize the, um, you know, the system of labor relations that exists in Mexico. So these are some of the obstacles, but I think the biggest one is just the lack of, uh, uh, the lack of, of organization, um, that, that exists, uh, so far. Um, so a big difference, uh, at the general motors plant in Silao, um, which, you know, I know we're going to get into, uh, but a big difference there where workers just voted, uh, where vo workers last year voted to, to delegitimate their contract and just recently voted uh, to form an independent union. Big difference there was they had two years of organizing um, mm -hmm. behind them, uh, start, starting back in 2019. Uh, and that, that just doesn't exist everywhere. So it's a challenge. Right. It's an opportunity right. and a challenge. Uh, Dan, if it, I was going to maybe clarify something. Did you say about 80 to 85 percent of contracts and unions are more or less protection unions, company unions? Yes, according to the to Mexico's uh, secretary of labor. So would it I mean, from what you've do, done research wise, would you say that that has impacted people's perceptions of unions? I mean, mm -hmm. if, if your common experience as workers is with these fraudulent organizations that are more, you know, in favor of the company than they are for you, I imagine there's going to be some people turned off by, like, just the word union. It's going to be a turnoff for folks. And, you know, I wonder if that's impacted the growth and uh, the independent movement and maybe kept some folks uh, – from from pursuing organizing opportunities just because they're you know their reputation and, and what they've experienced has been so bad absolutely i mean and that's you know that's that's another challenge uh, uh you know to when workers uh yeah vote uh vote to delegitimate their contract then they they have to form a new union but it's a challenge to the new unions to say we're different uh right. you know, and to really to really show that so you're, you're absolutely right so the la last thing before we go to get actually into Salau, um, we had somebody in the in, in the chat asked, are these so-called unions the same as the CLC unions in Canada? And, and what I think he's asking there is, are they in the same federation as the AFL-CIO-CLC? The answer to that's no, right? Uh, do you mean the same, the same like international federation right. or uh, not anymore? Um, they were uh, kicked out of... Um, uh, you know, the, the international federations, AFL-CIO does not have any uh, relationship with the, the CTM, for example, uh, anymore, mm -hmm. um, though it did uh, once upon a time. Did it? it did historically, really? yeah. And the CTM wow. was not always this way, to be clear. Either. Okay. So, um, but, but it has been for a while, uh, you know, for right. many decades. So. 
Interesting. Well, okay. I, I see what Jeb is talking about. Uh, he's referring to the Christian Labor Association of Canada, oh. CLAC. Oh, oh I thought that was just a. Oh. I thought that was just a typo. I thought he meant CLC because oh. the AFL CIO CLC is the American Canadian Le- Labor Federation. CLC stands for Canadian Labor Congress, but. CLAC is actually... Ironically, I, uh, I did some research on this organization <laughs> when I was at the operating engineers, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a decade ago or something. So. And we have, uh, even here in Alabama and, and across the South, you can find like Christian Educators Association oh, and no. things of that nature <laughs> that are like, you know, yeah, trying to, to emulate the company union kind of model. And, but the clack that, in this the, case, it's, you know, they'll just say... We'll, we'll provide you liability insurance if you get sued, and, and we'll also pray for you. Uh, <laughs> if the boss calls you in, we'll, we'll pray for you. We can't give you a lawyer, but we'll pray for you. Oh, but man. it's similar. It is, it is very similar, actually, um, in that uh, there are companies in Canada, uh, in particular, um, uh, construction companies who have turned to the CLAC and signed agreements with them to prevent other unions from coming in and uh, organizing the workers. And so they get these sweetheart deals, um, you know, where the wages are lower and there's like, you know, and the conditions are much worse. Uh, So I think that was the case in, uh, yeah, I think some of the um, the work in the North, like the tar sands work. uh, Wow. Well, I appreciate Jeff. Very similar. Good good comment there. That's That's a way to connect the dots. And uh, I imagine those are not the kind of unions that are going to give you a vigorous defense Mm. should you be hurt on the job or are unjustly terminated. And so, uh, yeah, it seems to be a a major trend. And appreciate all y'all kind of tying this together for us. Well, so, Dan, let's let's talk about Salau then. You said that they have been organizing there since 2019. Can you talk about how they began um, resisting their company union down there. I mean, some workers uh, came together, formed this organization, uh, Generando Movimiento, Generating Movement, uh, a play on General Motors. Uh, you know, just saying we, we should have a genuine uh, union. Um, they said they called it that because, like, you know, the conditions uh, that General Motors uh, forces on them, like, generate some some movement, some opposition, some uh, uh, resistance. But they, you know, they they were uh, pushing for things like an end to, you know, to like a, like a forty hour work week instead of a forty eight hour work week. Like, you know, they work mm. they work four twelve hour shifts now. Um, like access to bathroom breaks, you know. Um, and again, just like just like saying, well, we you know, we should have a real union that. Uh, that fights for us, that that doesn't fight fight against us. Um, and in 2019, uh, they actually organized some solidarity uh, with the striking General Motors workers uh, in the U.S. Uh, you know, on their own initiative, um, saying like we are going to refuse overtime. Um, uh, you know, so that they can't uh, they can't make up for uh, uh, production loss in the U.S. Um, by producing more. Here in Mexico, because the workers at the plant uh, produce the Chevy Silverado and the GMC Sierra, uh, as these extraordinarily profitable um, pickups, uh, which are are then mainly exported uh, to the U.S. Uh, so you know, so that was the start, and then uh, eighteen of them got fired. Uh, 
for under a variety of different um, pretexts. Um, and but they kept they kept fighting for their jobs back, and they kept organizing uh, in the plant. Um, you know, over the last the last couple of years, uh, and eventually when the when uh, when the union brought uh, the contract uh, for legitimation vote um, in, I believe it was April of last year, April 2021, um, they were winning the vote. Uh, workers were, were about to vote it down uh, when suddenly somebody broke into the ballot, you know, into, into the ballot boxes and, uh, uh, you know, and then they... Uh, you know, and, and tried to, to tamper with the results of the election. Um, mm. So a new election was was scheduled thanks to pressure from uh, the U.S. government and, and, and the Mexican Secretary of Labor. Um, uh, so a new election was, was scheduled for last August, and workers in that election voted uh, 60% uh, against legitimating the contract. And that opened up this the possibility of forming a new union, um, which they, uh, which they just did. Uh, so the election was, do you want me to just get into that? Um, yeah, yeah, go. Yeah. The, the election was at the beginning of February, February 1st and 2nd. Um, uh, you have, this is a, this is a massive plant, 6,500 workers, uh, in this plant. Um, and, you know, it was it was unclear, you know, what the outcome was going to be. Um, in in December, Cintia, the which stands for the Independent National Auto Workers Union, uh, which came out of this uh, generating movement group, um, or it's linked to that. They filed uh, their thirty percent of signatures, or at least thirty percent of signatures, to uh, take over the contract um, at the Silao plant. Uh, but then, uh, within ten days, three other unions also filed, uh, supposedly with thirty percent of signatures each. Workers can mm. sign for more to support more than one union uh, to get on the to get on the ballot um, and forcing an election. Um, so that that you know was was quite suspicious um, uh, that you had four unions on the ballot and at least one of them was just came from out of nowhere. And the, the mm-hmm. suspicion was like, this is just created to confuse people and divide the vote. And the other two had ties to, to the CTM. Um, uh, so it was unclear how it was going to go. There were also, uh, you know, workers were saying that general motors was favoring uh, these other unions, uh, allowing them access to the plan, allowing them to campaign. Um, and, uh, you know, and and also like there were threats immediately preceding the election against the um, uh, the principal officer of Cynthia Alejandra mm. Morales. Um, you know, somebody showed up in unmarked, uh, or a group of people showed up in an unmarked uh, pickup outside her house and threatened her, and death threats against the, uh, uh, another Cynthia officer like the weekend before the vote, um, and and. Uh, there was another group, the coalition, one of the four unions that was on the ballot linked to linked to the CTM, uh, you know, who were making these arguments that uh, we are the ones who are going to defend your jobs. 
Um, Cynthia is, you know, essentially is backed by uh, the international labor movement. It's backed by U.S. unions and Canadian unions, like taking money from them. Um, and, uh, you know, those those unions that are supporting them just want to steal our jobs, take them back to the mm. U.S., back to Canada. Um, you know, Cynthia had a great response to that, which was workers everywhere are struggling. Uh, you know, we're part of a global uh, labor movement. Um, you know, we need to we need to fight together. And it's the responsibility of, you know, workers everywhere to support one another. We welcome that uh, that support. And that actually went a long way towards uh, uh, diffusing the, the message um, from from these CTM linked unions, um, which is a common message. So anyway, when the vote eventually ha- when the vote happened, February first and second, Cynthia won in a landslide. They won seventy six percent of the vote. Uh, the the coalition, the second place finisher, won nineteen percent of the vote. There's almost ninety percent turnout. Uh, so it was you know an, an overwhelming. Uh, you know, affirmation for a genuine independent uh, union there. One of the one of the four unions only got 18 votes. Uh, so supposedly they got 2,000 signatures. 30% of the signatures supposedly to get on the ballot, but 18 points. Yeah. So that is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, so it's, so it's, I mean, it's, it's quite suspicious. Uh, and sh- especially given that like there was, uh, a lot of international attention on this and a lot of attention from the Mexican labor authorities. And yet still, you know, you, you had some serious questions about how they verified the signatures and whether they verified the signatures mm-hmm. or how those signatures were obtained. Um, you know, and this is important stuff to, uh, to follow going forward because there are going to be tens of thousands of more legitimation votes, uh, you know, and hopefully, uh, some votes for new unions, um, but there's still a lot of uh, a lot of dirty tricks. Um, uh, but so now Cynthia has six months to negotiate a contract uh, with General Motors. Um, that contract, under the new labor law reform in Mexico, has to be approved by a majority of uh, of workers at the plant. Um, and you know, it's a real. Uh, inspiration, I think, to other workers uh, hoping to um, other workers in Mexico. It's a real inspiration to the independent labor movement. There should be a real inspiration to us, uh, you know, in the U.S. to see Mexican workers uh, fighting back and you know using their new uh, rights. Um, we should do everything we can to to support them, and we should pay attention to the you know the contract battle at uh, at General Motors. But hopefully, you know, this really opens the floodgates uh, toward more. Um, more independent union efforts. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, the you mentioned that one of CTM's hits against the Cynthia was that they were backed by U.S. unions. Um, and somebody in the in the chat asked if uh, are these workers supported by the UAW? And he also said, I think the UAW would try to organize them. What is this? What is the stance of? You know, I think you kind of alluded to that there is some amount of support and and funding of Cynthia by U.S. unions, but explicitly, what's the relationship between unions like the UAW and this new independent union, and why isn't the UAW organizing them under their banner? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the UAW came out, you know, publicly in support of uh, of a free and fair vote in 
you know, at the at the plant. Um, and the AFL-CIO did similarly and, you know, and has played an important role in pressuring the the uh, the Mexican government um, to to make sure uh, that workers are able to to freely exercise uh, their rights. You know, I think uh, you know I think there's a lot of work to do to to generate more solidarity among uh, U.S. auto workers, U.S. UAW members, and uh, you know, and members of independent unions um, in the auto sector. Um, in Mexico, I think this is a big step forward um, towards that. As far as you know, organizing under the same banner, I think that you know we currently we you know we have we have different federations or different confederations in uh, you know in different countries. Um, uh, but I you know I I definitely hope that the the um, the UIW. And UAW locals and UAW members will be supportive um, of uh, Cynthia's mm-hmm. efforts, um, you know, because even UAW locals are pitted against each other. Um, right. Long been the case. Right. Um, and it's not it's not limited to the UAW. But so you either, you know, embrace this idea that we're all competing against one another in a, you know, eternal race to the bottom, um, you know, or we wage like a concerted uh, you know, effort, uh, the concerted fight back against these companies, you know, to, um, to raise the standards everywhere. And there was some really right. good, uh, solidarity shown by general motors workers from Brazil, uh, who went there, um, who, you know, who went and, and, and were in Silao during the election, uh, you know, and so hopefully next time UAW can send some members down, uh, as well, but. Right, right. Well, the then let's uh, to to wrap it up. Let's let's kind of expand on that point that you mentioned about why U.S. unions and, and U.S. workers should support movements like this. Because you you, you know you said that, that basically we the choice is we kind of bend to this logic of competition and create a race to the bottom where even locals within the same country are pitted against each other, not to mention, you know, locals and, and, and unions in different countries. Um, what What is going to be the, like, how is this going to affect workers in, in the United States if we can begin to see a, a real upsurge of independent unionism in, in Mexico? Mm-hmm. I think the way that this affects uh, workers in the U.S. is that, um, you know, we can we we will have genuine partners um, in our efforts uh, to you know to build a strong labor movement um, to build uh, that that can pressure our employers, employers like General Motors or you know Amazon, Wall, you, you name them, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to 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 raise standards everywhere, um, you know. Without that, like, you know, Mexican workers have been held down um, by uh, the law, by and by these by their employers and by these corrupt unions uh, for so long. You know, and there's there's there have been many, uh, you know, important efforts to, to build genuine uh, organizations. But, uh, you know, they've been limited. Um, if we have more, if there are more fighting independent unions uh in Mexico, 
just like if there are more fighting independent, you know, fighting unions uh, in the U.S., uh, you know, all workers will be will be better off um, for that. Uh, you know, and we could figure out how we can actually take it to these companies um, and, you know, have have jointly support uh, one another. Yeah. So yeah. that they can't, they uh, can't, and, and, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah. An injury to one is an injury to all. <laughs> and uh, a victory for one is a victory for all, I think, is is the, the quickest way to say that. Dan, thanks for being so generous with your time. We went a little bit over 30 minutes, but uh, I think it was good. Think it, uh, you can read more of Dan and Luis's uh, reporting on this in Labor Notes. Uh, they have written several articles about this campaign, uh, how it began, and and where it's at now so highly recommend you um, go read those articles and subscribe to labor notes they are a great organization they have uh, really great trainings that i've been to several of them recently stewards trainings organizer trainings just all sorts of stuff uh, definitely look into what's lo- what labor notes is doing um, really great organization absolutely and thanks again, Dan, for all you do. Uh, I see your emails on the DSA Labor Group, and and you're all over the place. You were you were yeah. trying to round up folks to go to Mexico uh, to to oversee this election. So, yeah, I really appreciate all you do for us uh, as a movement, and uh, glad to hear some good news coming up, uh, from south of the border. And looking forward to to seeing what their organizing can bring. Thank you, guys. Thanks, uh, Dan. Keep up the good work. Take care. Right, appreciate it. All right, uh, so that was Dan DiMaggio, uh, an assistant editor of Labor Notes. You can find more at labornotes.org. So um, he talked about, we just we were talking about company unions. We were talking about company unions with Dan DiMaggio in Mexico. And um, by and large, we like to think that company unions are a thing of the past in America, but not if Marco Rubio has anything to say about it. <laughs> um and, you know, we've been hearing a lot about the right becoming more pro-worker, that, you know, the right is the real party, the Republicans are the real party of the working class now, right? That's what we hear. You know, I guess in the same sense as, like, the mafia, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there is pro-workers, the mafia is, um, you know, that seems to be the the model they're looking to emulate. Yeah, yeah. So, um what are we talking about? Rubio, he's finally put some legislation to this um, to, to this supposed push of the Republican Party to become more pro-worker. You know, we've been hearing the talk for so long. I mean, you know, just years. We've been since Trump came into office. Really, he was talking about Obama shipping jobs overseas, Clinton's shipping jobs overseas, Bush shipping jobs overseas, and he's going to change it. He's going to bring jobs back, and he's going to, you know, he's going to make things better for the American worker. And we like that didn't really happen. Um, <laughs> but um, but that's basic. That's basically it. It's it's all been talk. And and Rubio has put some legislation, and the legislation is. Uh, legalizing company unions here's what the bill does explicitly it provides new authority for employees and employers to establish voluntary employee involvement organizations to discuss workplace issues that's legal you can i mean it it's it is already legal to have a suggestion box (laughs) like (laughs) and uh you know, three or four of you can go to the suggestion box at the same time if yeah. you want. You can you can 
uh, copy each other's answers, put it in there. It clarifies that an employee involvement organization, EIO, may be established and dissolved by mutual consent between employers and employees, um, which means that the employer can dissolve it. Uh, (laughs) It's basically at the will and pleasure of the employee. It is not authorized to engage in or negotiate collective bargaining agreements, which, you know, that's maybe company union is a bit hyperbolic, but still. And um, it does not preclude employees from forming a labor union. Um, It ensures that violations of EIO-related provisions shall be adjudicated in, in the U.S. court system and not by the National Labor Relations Board. And it provides that EIO members at companies with more than $1 billion in yearly gross revenues with the opportunity to elect a representative to serve as a non-voting member of the company's board of directors, again, at the will and pleasure of the company. The company can decide whether or not workers can elect a non-voting member of the board, which is like... like that's you can do that already. A worker can already be on a voting member of the board. I mean, this is just so like it's so silly. It it, it does not actually suggest it, it does not actually make anything better. Um it basically either restates the law as it is or um or or em- encourages employees to involve themselves in these organizations instead of non-company-dominated organizations. Matt Brunig wrote a piece about this in the People's Policy Institute uh, titled, What is the Point of Marco Rubio's Company Union Bill? And from here, uh, uh, and quoting from there, he said that... um, That what it does is these employee involvement organizations contemplated by the 2022 Team Act. The act is called Teamwork for Employees and Managers. We're not simply duplicating existing employee participation programs that are already legal. This act would give employers another union avoidance tool by allowing them to muddy the waters and by allowing them to fend off union organizing drives by setting up their own internal labor organizations. And that's the problem. That's the problem, right? Yeah. It's uh, because I I could see. I mean, I can really picture it now uh, where you have workers, especially maybe who are are new to a workplace. they start looking around, asking some questions. Maybe they have some issues, and the vibe they get is, "Well, we don't need a union. We've we've got this. We've right, got right. We, we've got you know this this direct connection." Um, and this you know reminds me like going back to the schools when uh, you know your principal might set up a leadership team that the principal chose. And the principal can listen to the team's recommendation at their mm-hmm. discretion uh, and you know, is allowed to uh, dissolve the team, not me. You know, it, it's just one of those where on paper um, it looks like maybe you have some input. Uh, but I like what Matt said there. It, it's about muddying the waters. And, and the more they can confuse folks um, and get people's efforts and energies and time – uh, spread and scattered, the better that is for the management. Right, exactly, exactly, and that's the issue with that bill. Um, so 
the there are a couple of things that we wanted to get to in the main show that we didn't get to, and that's we wanted to give you an update on the legislative session. Um, and this is let's go to that section. So we've been tracking another bill in the legislature this session, uh, an anti-speech bill, HB2. Last week it passed out of committee. It advanced to the full House for consideration. Uh, Still hasn't been voted on in in the full House yet. You can see our interview with Felicia Scalzetti about it for more details. But the crux is this. It further restricts the rights of working Alabamians to picket their boss and protest the state. And that's an issue. The bill would hold innocent people in prison for a minimum of 24 hours. That's not an opinion. That is a fact. Because anybody arrested under this legislation is subject to that mandatory holding time. And because they have not been convicted of a crime, they are innocent. Right. And in fact, the author of the bill admitted that this was not a byproduct. This was not a byproduct of the bill. Holding innocent people in behind a cage for 24 hours is a purpose. It is an explicit purpose that is his intent. In the public hearing, he said, quote, that's one of the reasons that I put the mandatory holding time in the bill. All those people got their charges dropped. All those translation, all those people were innocent. All those people were innocent. All those people that were protesting police brutality in 2020 in Alabama, they got their charges dropped and he wants to punish them for participating in a protest. And that's we when we talk about freedom and liberty and constitutional rights, this should be chief among them. Innocent until proven guilty. A right to a fair trial. The author of this bill does not think that these things are important. He thinks that he, down in Montgomery, ought to have the power to throw you behind bars for a minimum of 24 hours without a trial without a trial, for quote-unquote rioting, which, let's remember, remember, under this definition, does not necessitate you having damaged a lick of property, hurt a single hair on a person's head, or even have been present at the protest, because you can also be arrested and charged with a felony for quote-unquote funding a riot. We remember that I donated to Bell Funds, to get people out of prison who were arrested, uh, who were arrested uh, 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 unconstitutionally, illegally, and they had their charges dropped. I donated to bail funds to help get them out, and I'm sure many of you did as well. Under this bill, we could be charged with felonies for supporting our brothers and sisters and getting them out of jail, whether they were wrongfully arrested at a protest for racial justice. Or on the picket line. All that you have to do to be arrested and convicted under this bill, if you're at the protest, is not play Simon Says properly with the police and stay after an order to disperse. And then have them think that you potentially pose a danger to property or persons. This is all totally giving cops more power. And then if you're convicted... You're looking at 30 days mandatory minimum. A 30-day mandatory minimum. People are That's arrested. That's life-changing. Yeah. 
People are arrested on, on bogus charges all the time. And like we said, dozens of folks were arrested in 2020 in Alabama improperly, and they had their charges dropped. This only further enables that behavior. And so with all of this as a prelude or, 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 or as a backdrop, let's compare this to the rhetoric around another bill that's working its way, way through our legislature, which is a constitutional carry bill. Before you dive into that, Jacob, okay. I want to mention that just last weekend, there were two separate deaths at the Madison County Jail here in Huntsville, Alabama. Mm. If you, and that's where you would be. The yep. Blue Roof Inn is known here. Uh, that's where you would be. Two people died. Uh, and, and this is not the first time this has happened. People die within 24-hour stays of jails. Right. Um, I know, I know folks who have who've experienced that uh, with folks that uh, are in their network, friends, family members. Uh, chances are some of you listening ha- has either experienced going in, into jail or you have loved ones who have gone to jail. Um, and, and even a 24-hour stay on charges that are totally bogus that you, you'll never be convicted of can end your life. Yeah. And so that that's why it's so serious, I, I think, um, both from a broader issue of we should have the right to picket, we should have the right to peacefully protest, uh, just that, you know, the assault on that is, is a disgrace. Mm-hmm. But then the individual implications on if you are one of these people who are snared up in this, and, and let's be real about the type of people they're going to go after. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be wealthy people. It's not going to be right. people uh, at uh, the uh, Brooks Brothers riots. Right. That's not who's going to get arrested under this bill. So let's compare that rhetoric, the rhetoric around the anti-speech bill where they are playing up outside agitators, quote-unquote, potential potential damage to property, all of these things, and they're playing up the need for law and order. and, and all. Let, Let's compare that to the rhetoric around the constitutional carry bill. The bill's author, Senator Allen of Tuscaloosa, said this in its support, quote, as an elected official who swore to uphold the constitutions of this state and country, I will always do everything in my power to preserve the rights of Alabamians, especially those granted by the Second Amendment. You've got the same people throwing around their support for for the Constitution, for this constitutional carry bill, even with acknowledgement that there might be some risk. You know, I heard Senator Sam Gavan on the radio talking about his support for this bill and recognizing that it's faced opposition from cops because cops don't like the idea of the people that they interact with being armed. And, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, I guess who can blame them? Um, but uh, so the the police associations are very much opposed to this bill. And... Um, and in talking this about this is like the one time right. <laughs> ever where the right wing and the cops will not be on the same page. Right. Yeah. And and so the and so he was talking about he was like, you know, look, I respect the the police's opinion and I appreciate them, but um, you know, I just think this freedom is so important that it overrides their concerns, you know? 
and and <laughs> and they're trampling on these freedoms with the first bill that we were talking about. I mean, why the concern for the Constitution when it comes to guns, but not to speech and assembly? As far as human life goes, far more risk comes from folks walking around with guns all the time. Of course. But where there's less risk, there's less risk to owners and bosses and, and, and campaign donors when you have an unorganized group of folks, some of whom carry guns, they are much less threatening to the people who donate to these campaigns than even an unarmed but organized group of workers. And that's the difference. They don't like people having opinions that are different than them. They don't like people expressing those opinions. And they certainly, they certainly do not like workers standing up to the boss. And so if it takes trampling on freedoms to... Uh, to empower the boss or to empower the state they're willing to do it but they will really talk up their commitment to those freedoms when it comes to guns and 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 still i do not think this constitutional carry bill applies to picket lines i believe under this bill uh guns will still be prohibited at picket lines and, and protest yeah. yeah yeah so that's the, that's the other thing is you're not allowed to carry at protest or picket lines Again, I can I can see the logic behind that. Um, whether it's good or bad, you know, I'm not going to make that call. But um, something we should mention here is that, as much as they love to talk about Second Amendment rights, we know that in in effect, in practice, mm -hmm. who gets to exercise those without right. punishment is also um, very very disparate because. If you are a young black man legally carrying a firearm, mm -hmm. the response you're going to get from law enforcement is different. And poor folks carrying firearms are going to be treated differently right. than, you know, the suburbs, the wealthy suburbs. Chances are if you're in Mountain Brook and you have firearms, you're not very concerned about the police. Yeah. But if you're in North Huntsville, you should be. Right. And that that really pisses me off as a, as a born and bred Southerner, as someone who owns guns and, and mm -hmm. grew up learning how to shoot guns. I, you know, I, I uh, fully support people's right to have firearms. I will always have mine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's something I, I think we should put out there. It's not like... Uh, we do exist. There are left-wing right. people who are pro-gun. I, I, I don't want to say pro-gun, but pro-Second pro, uh, Amendment rights, I, I mm -hmm. suppose. But it's just uh, – it's infuriating that, like you said, this is like the one constitutional issue they really love to talk about. Right. Never mind they're violating all your other constitutional rights in the same committee hearing sometimes. Yeah the same damn day the same people writing the same bills uh but then you know put on this whole facade about constitutional rights um which even that is is so utterly narrow and and uh inequitable in practice right exactly exactly that that's the issue that's the issue and and uh yeah i mean like adam said it's it show, not like it shows what they fear right they they are afraid 
of people power. They are afraid of those diverse crowds they saw throughout mm-hmm. the summer of 2020 of young folks, older folks, black, white, gay, straight. It was a, an incredibly diverse collection of people, and it was happening not just in New York and L.A. and Chicago, but in Huntsville and Birmingham and Mobile and Athens and Decatur mm-hmm. and, and you know small towns. And I think that uh, scares them mm-hmm. to see interracial solidarity, and it scares them to know that workers are on picket lines and may take matters into their own hands and try to shape their own destinies in terms of their own workplace. Right, right. Yep. Um, you're pissing me off today, Jacob. Not you. Just, just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you bring, yeah, you're bringing the content today that yeah. just, uh, it, it's quite irritating. I'm bad news bear today. Uh, well, let's go ahead and uh, get to our next segment. I but, think we may have we, we may have a, a fun one. We, we, we may get to that Macy's clip at the end. It, it's just really quick, and, and it'll be just something fun to laugh at. Um, but if you haven't already, please do participate in the hometown action action uh, yes. where you can contact your legislator. It's very easy. It, I mean, if nothing else, you need to to know where they stand, uh, and you need to know that they've heard from you. Yep. So send them an email, call their office, and say, hey, I sent you an email. I'd like a response. HMTN.link slash HB2. HMTN.link slash HB2 is the um, is the information there. So uh, let's go ahead and get to Last Week in Southern Labor. Every week, Jonah Furman writes a newsletter, Who Gets the Bird? You can read it at whogetsthebird.substack.com, where he compiles a list of... Uh, almost exhaustive list of everything that happens in the labor movement in the United States. And what we do with his permission is we go through that list and see what happened in the in the south of the United States um, last week. And we bring you last week in Southern Labor. So in new organizing, 63 workers at a specialty elastomers plant in uh, Cantonment, Florida, which Selenies recently acquired from ExxonMobil, they are organizing with IBEW Local 733. 29 linemen for the Marshall DeCab Electric Cooperative in Boaz, Alabama, are unionizing with IBEW Local 443. We just talked about Bill, uh, that with Bill Blackman. Congressional staffers have announced a historic bid to unionize, as well as the staff of the Financial Times. It looks like the Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen is raiding a unit unit of Teamsters uh, maintenance of way workers for rail car manufacturer Alstom in Sanford, Florida. Fifteen workers in the meat departments of three Albertson stores in El Paso, Texas, decertified UFCW Local 540 in a narrow six to seven vote. In strikes and bargaining, Steelworkers Local 40 on their 126th day on strike once again went back to the negotiating table with special medals in Huntington, West Virginia, and once again came back without a deal primarily because of health care costs for the 450 strikers. Um 
so many reasons that we need to go to a national single payer healthcare system. 30,000 steel workers, uh, refinery workers nationwide are on a 24 hour rolling contract extension, which was agreed to 30 minutes before the initial strike deadline. Workers rejected a 1% offer, and there hasn't been any public movement from the company since then. Can you imagine the guts on these companies? 1%, a 1% raise in this economy. Good grief. In related news, Grist has a really interesting piece about how those locked out steelworkers in Beaumont, Texas, are trying to leverage public funding for a big Exxon carbon capture project to settle a contract. That's very important. Uh, 11 of 25 workers who are seeking to unionize at UFCW with UFCW Local 400 at three locations of Food Accelerator Union Kitchen in D.C. struck this weekend after management served disciplinary notices to two of the main organizers. Pretty impressive to see what is essentially a recognition strike, which is pretty rare, especially in food service. Staffers at the liberal D.C. think tank Center for American Progress are threatening a strike with the nonprofit professional employees union, IFPTE, in order to raise the wage floor, which currently sits at $40,000 a year. Wow. In D.C. As much as I support their effort and I, I wish them all the best, they deserve a union, as does every worker. I, I don't know. I, I got to encourage some reflection about how you ended up there, and, and is that really the place you need to be? And what kind of values does this uh, organization have? Yeah, I, I'll just leave it at that. After some serious work stoppage talk, the National Women's Soccer Player uh, Soccer League Players Association have their first union contract. And the tentative agreement between Huntington Ingalls Steelworkers Local 8888 covering upwards of 10,000 workers does not yet have a ratification date set. But the union is working on getting members, uh, members quote-unquote, summaries. In politics, there is a new bill in Congress to prohibit employers from cutting health insurance to striking workers, which would be a big deal, as this is a tactic we see used over and over in strikes to force workers to fold. That is huge. Um, while the Democrats tinker at the edges of labor law, the right wing is just going ahead and proposing we establish company unions. We talked about that earlier. Uh, so the working class can escape their corporate overlords' excess wokeness or something. That was actually in Marco Rubio's press release talking about how these are these are going to be an important tool for workers to escape corporate wokeness. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just when you're going through the grind... And you've been working hard all day. You know you're not getting enough. Uh, your health insurance goes up every year. They cover less medicines every year. Your management are complete dicks. They don't know anything about what you do. What really irritates you is the wokeness. Yeah. That's what, you know, that's what's really the problem there. Nothing, it's not anything else that could be going on. It's just, man, they give some, some weird woke presentations in the hr department yeah that's what we're worried about um on on the political note we probably will talk more about these two next week uh but a couple of highlights that i've seen from congress uh one well both actually seem to be fairly good news the the first one is regarding um arbitra mandatory arbitration in terms of um sexual harassment sexual assault claims in the workplace uh so many folks uh you know in this me too era have been speaking up about sexual assault and sexual harassment they've experienced in the workplace and 
many of the reasons why uh, you know these stories come out so much later is because folks are are locked into binding arbitration clauses where you know if you are an employee you're harassed on the job you have to go through this arbitration process with the company and you are restricted from just going out and getting your own lawyer or going you know to your union to to organize other ways to address it so that seems to be a step in the right direction it would it would uh take sexual harassment claims out of the mandatory arbitration it leaves everything else unfortunately so you know if you're signing up to work for a company and that's what they do you know they can still do it in terms of other issues you have contract mm-hmm. disputes racial discrimination but that that would be a, a a step in the right direction for american labor law coming out of congress uh yeah that doesn't happen much uh and the other big one I, i've been hearing is postal uh, the Postal Service yes, reform. we've got to get somebody from the letter carriers yeah. to talk about that. What I've or seen, and correct me if I'm wrong here, what I've seen is that the unions, the various postal worker unions, uh, are on board with this mm-hmm. legislation. It actually has gotten some bipartisan support. And the thing that I heard that really stuck with me, because it's been an issue for so long, was about the pre-funding of uh, retirement pensions for postal service employees. Most folks do not realize that uh, many years ago, in an effort to bolster privatization and basically sabotage the postal service, uh, it was written into law that they had to pre-fund their retirement pensions for, I believe, what, 70, 75 years? 75 years. Nobody does that. No, I mean, that is completely outside the norm of any industry, uh, any kind of retirement benefits. And that was put in place so that they could then turn around and, and uh, make the arguments that the Postal Service is failing. It's, right. it's going to go bankrupt. It's unsustainable. So, of course, that means we should privatize and, and right. hook up FedEx and DHL and of all course, that. Of so, course. Yeah. So – Hey, got a couple of uh, good things happening in D.C. That's a rare thing. Yes, it's always always nice when that happens. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll wrap it all up on something fun. Um, go ahead and we'll just play that Macy's clip, and um, and and you'll be able to figure out why. Okay, I it was yeah, fun. I, I haven't heard it, so uh, this will be news to me. Prince William, what are you hating on? I'm hating on Macy's, and they they fired a brilliant employee who had an idea of most most employees at like retail stores they can get discount employee discounts. Well, he was picking up all these shoes at Macy's that are extremely discounted already, and then use his employee discount on top of that, and he ended up reselling those on eBay and made forty thousand dollars in six months doing that's this. awesome. Anyway, well, he, uh, Macy's found out and they just fired him on the spot. And yet, there's nothing in their uh, in their contract for employment or anything like that that he can't do that. I mean, he was just being smart, and they said, "Nope, you can't make money off us," and fired him. Wow, that's really unfortunate. Yeah, I feel for wow. the guy. That was that, brilliant. That, that's that's really unfortunate. Um, what what is? And let me see if I understand this. If the guy didn't do anything wrong, what's his recourse? Does he have any? He hasn't said yet. This is this is going viral on TikTok, and um, I'm sure he's going to seek legal counsel on this. Wow, that's very unfortunate for him. Good job on his part, though. Hey, $40,000. No! Uh, leaving Macy's, I, I'm sure he... 
Yeah, okay, that was it. Yeah, uh, his legal counsel can do whatever they want. They're not going to be able to get his job back. Right. <laughs> uh, they'll be happy to have a sit-down with him and uh, advise, here is at-will employment. Right. That's what you had, buddy. And Now give uh, me a couple thousand dollars <laughs> yeah. for my time. <laughs> um, yeah, any, any attorney who takes that up is probably just trying to bilk them out of something because – uh, unless there's unless there's more to the story that I'm not aware of, um, I don't know where this person was at. Do you know where Florida? What, Florida? Oh, well, sh- <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's it's nice to see the uh, right wing radio guys recognize the folly of at will employment. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, poor Will. I feel bad for picking on him, but it's like, uh, yeah, there you go. There's no recourse. That's why you need a union. That's exactly what if, right. What if this is a? I know it's a really crazy idea, but what if when you dedicate your life and much, if not majority, of your day to labor for a company and make them profits, that before they decided to just fire you and upend your entire lifestyle, they had a reason. What if they had to go through due process? What if they had to prove you actually deserve to be terminated? I mean, I don't know, Adam. That sounds know, like communism to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting how, on like uh, a case by case basis, even some of the most uh, reactionary folks. Mm-hmm. They know it's right. BS. I mean, they know it's unfair. Even Dale, like he recognizes, like. This is bullshit. Right. Like, that's crazy. Right. And and you know what? There are folks who get fired uh, in part because of their right-wing politics. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, oftentimes it's unfair as well. Um, yes. Obviously, you can't be uh, expressing bigotry in the workplace, which just face it, that, that's probably what happens a lot of, with a lot of these cases. But, right. uh, I mean, if, if someone is being just arbitrarily fired from their job because they're a big Trump person or whatever, that's BS, too. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't happen either. And, and as much as I may disagree with that person's politics, right. that's not, you know, their employment shouldn't be uh, yanked out from underneath them on a whim because of that. Right. Uh, and I think a lot of people, however, you know, politically right-wing they may be they they realize that and pretty much it, i mean unless you were just incredibly sheltered and privileged we all know people who've lost their job for something stupid right where you know uh they were unfairly targeted or they were uh maybe they made some honest mistakes but deserve mm-hmm. you know didn't nothing worthy of firing or maybe they uh wrong place wrong time whatever the situation we all know people who have have lost jobs or lost promotions because of just totally bogus stuff um and instead of looking at it on a case-by-case basis or whether that person really deserved this or that let's just look at everybody maybe everybody really deserves some due process and it's not really up to us to decide who's morally worth it uh, or financially worth it, maybe we all just deserve a basic sense of rights in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So that'll be it for us today. We did get a chat, um, a comment on the Facebook feed from Willie Shirley asking us if we could talk about the UMWA. We will be talking about that next week because on Wednesday, uh, Braxton Wright, uh, 
multi-time guest on this show and striking coal miner, and Cecil Roberts, president of the UMWA, will be speaking before the United States Congress at the invitation of U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders, while our Congress people have stayed completely silent. So we're going to be talking about that, probably playing a couple of clips from that. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll talk about that next week. We'll also give you some updates on the Amazon Union campaign because we will be pre-taping next week's show on Thursday because I will be back in Bessemer knocking on doors and and speaking to Amazon workers with RWDSU. Maybe we can bring Adam along this time. We'll be bringing... We've already got... Uh, uh, again, this is this is the councils going down there, um, and like last time, we've got letter carriers, we've got iron workers. The iron workers training coordinator is actually going to be bringing along some of their apprentices as well, so that's going to be really cool. Um, and I know that a few of my coworkers are going, David's going. So if you're a union member in the area, hit me up. And you can come with us. We'll be we'll be meeting at the Steamfitters Hall Saturday morning before we go down. So um, so yeah, it should be fun. And we'll be talking about uh, bring, bringing you some updates on both of those campaigns that are going on in Middle Alabama. And, and on that note, uh, I want to plug real quick. Uh, you guys did a great fundraiser for UMWA uh, this past week. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, I don't even know who all was involved with that beyond you and DSA. Um, but also know there's another uh, fundraiser coming up this week. So if you missed last week's, there's another one. Um, we're not involved with this one, but uh, Jobs with Justice is going to be doing one Tuesday, February 22nd at 7 oh. p.m. Central. Uh, looks like they got various uh, groups behind this, including uh, not just Jobs with Justice, but South Dakota AFL-CIO, mm. uh, Southern Workers Assembly, Chicago you know, Federation of Labor, right? Who we've talked to. Uh, wow. I was really impressed with Southern Workers Assembly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's really been nice. Even though, uh, as per usual, our media here, our politicians here, uh, just remain silent, or even worse, uh, singing the company line. But we have seen a, a tremendous amount of solidarity from folks in the labor movement and in the kind of the broader social justice movement. Um, and, and that's that's really what it's all about, and, and love to see folks from California and South Dakota, yeah, uh, act, awesome. who who give a crap about what's happening to these these workers down in uh, Central Alabama. Yep. If you want us, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that eight four four eight nine nine TVLR. We might listen on next week's show eight four four eight nine nine eight eight five seven. If you want to support the show, you can go to unionly.io slash o slash TVLR and give us a one-time donation or become a sustaining member. Give us a monthly donation to help us stay on the air. It really does help. The uh, largest single source of revenue that we have is our listeners, so it does help. We're on commercial radio stations, so we do pay for the time, so it's basically like a, a an infomercial for unions, you know, and, and so uh, we do have to pay for that time, and your donations help us stay on the air as well as our sponsors, and so we appreciate them. We appreciate you for listening, for contributing, and for sharing, and we will see you next week. Which, uh-